Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God. Be and abide with you this day. As we conclude our series in James about intersection, today's intersection of faith and life here in James chapter 5 deals with patience and prayer. You ever had this thought? Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. I've also heard it said, do not pray for patience. Have you heard that one? Because you'll get it, but you have to learn it. (laughs) Because you don't get patience as like, here you go, all of a sudden that module is installed and you're patient. Instead, the way God gives patience is through the things that we endure. And who wants to endure more than we're already enduring? Right. So like, there are people who legit say, do not pray for patience. That's the, pr- that's the thing not to pray for at all. But today, as we have this intersections of faith and life, we're going to talk about patience in prayer looking at this text. Because all we need is just a little patience. Now, some of you have a Guns N' Roses song from 1988 going through your head, um, which is okay. But this is what James chapter 5, verse 8 says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We're going to look at a few different ways in which our patience is required of us, necessary in our lives, that we have and exhibit and at least try to apply, to the best of our ability, patience. The first of those is in suffering. Here's what verse 11 said. We consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, in case the story of Job isn't that familiar. Job is in the Old Testament. Job was a person who was faithful to God, was um, living a blessed life. Job chapter 1 describes his life, big family, um, successful, had all these, all this livestock, and it gives some numbers. You know, it's it's big, and homes, and friends, and all of, you know, what you can imagine in life for someone who's Old Testament time, like Job is is living it. This is good. And the way that Job chapter 1 describes, and it's mysterious how this works, is that Satan shows up in front of God and is like, "Mm, you know what? Your guy, Job, he only believes in you because of this blessed life that he has. You start taking that stuff away and he will curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, We don't know why. It's like a bet, right? It's like God and Satan having this side bet going on, you know, while things are happening. And they're like, hmm, here's a guy. And God says, okay. You just can't harm him. And Satan goes away. Well, the story of Job goes on to say that he lost everything. His, His family, his livestock. And it goes, like, the way that it describes it, Job is just, 
there, and all of a sudden, one by one, people start coming in. And before he's finished talking, the next one comes in and says, ah, this, this happened, and I was the only one who escaped, and I came to tell you. And while he's still talking, someone else comes in, and so it's all in one day gone. Can you imagine that kind of bad news? Again and again and again, and it's personal, and it's hitting you, right? It's not just the things that we, you know... You're going through the channels and you stop on the news momentarily and it's like, you know, this is going on on the other side of the world. This is going on on the opposite coast. This is going on in Southern California. This happened in Portland or whatever. And you see all these stories and it's the same kind of stuff, but it's at least remote. For Job, it was his family and his livestock and his business and his house and all of everything. One at a time, but all real close together gone. So then along comes Job's wife, who says, why don't you just curse God and die? Not the most evangelical message, I don't think, that she could have shared. Um, But that's what she said. In her suffering, because that's Job's wife, I mean, she's not completely exempt from all this. It's not like Job lost everything and she's doing okay. It's her family and her lifestyle and everything for her too. And then come Job's friends. And there's a lot of chapters of conversations that are going back and forth between Job's friends and Job and, and God and, you know, trying to figure this out. Well, Job's friends say, well, you must have done something to deserve that, right? And Job suffered through that, through loss, through hardship, and through Messages from people that were intended, I think, to be helpful and good, but weren't. The end of chapter 1, almost to the end, uh, verse 22 of Job chapter 1, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Fantastic words. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And and sometimes we've got to cling to those words too. Because maybe we haven't suffered like Job where it's one thing after another after another all in one day, but you've suffered. I've suffered. We've had physical things happen to us. We've had losses of people we love. We've suffered through emotional struggle, life challenge. And for... Likely most of it, it's one or two things that we deal with at a time, not all at once. Bam, bam, bam. But we've suffered. We've been there. And at least most of us can identify, and you're probably already thinking about it, ah, that's my big one. That's what I've suffered. That's been the hardest thing that I've had to deal with or had to deal with lately. And I bet most of us aren't even thinking about the masks we're wearing or the pandemic we've been struggling through, even though that's been its own form of suffering and challenge. We consider those blessed who remained steadfast. So James' words are, be like Job. When you're suffering, be patient, be steadfast. So we need patience in suffering. We need patience for the Lord to act. A good example of Impatience is also in the Old Testament. 
Abram, who's later called Abraham, gets the promise of God. You're going to have land, and it's going to be for your descendants, and he's got no kids. He and his wife, and he's 75 at that point. So I don't know how many are 70 or up, but can you imagine God saying, you're going to have land for your children and their children, and you're 75 years old. And so they go on for some years, right, with this promise. And he's like, well, maybe it's my relative, Eleazar or some name. And God's like, no, that's not it. And then Sarah, his wife, comes along. She's like, you know, we've been waiting for this, but maybe, maybe there's another way. <laughs> I've got this servant girl, Hagar. Maybe she could be the surrogate mother of our children. So they try that. And that doesn't work. That's Ishmael. That's impatience. But James says, be patient. One of the things that we're waiting for is for the Lord to come. Verse 7, be patient until the coming of the Lord. People in the first century, so this is, right, Jesus at his ascension, he goes, and then there's the two guys in white who are like, he's coming back. Just like he left, he's going to come back the same way. And so there's this anticipation that he's coming back, and it's going to be in their lifetime. And even some of the words of Jesus about this generation will not pass away and, I, you know, I'm coming back and this is going to be good. And, you know, and it's somewhat confusing or challenging for us to understand what did Jesus mean? What did they hear? How did they interpret what we do know that is this, that Paul and here James, they're anticipating Jesus coming back soon. 2,000 years later, maybe we're not thinking so much about that. Maybe we're not anticipating Jesus coming back so much, but be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient for the Lord to act. Be like the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You ever plant some seeds? You go out the next day and look for you know, your flower to come up or your carrot to be ready to pull out of the ground or whatever. No, it's not how it works. We need to be patient, waiting for the Lord to act, waiting for things to proceed the way they're going to, not in our timetable, and I think that's hard for us so often. We want God to act, and we want God to act now. Right? God, here's your list of things to do today. Please. I want these things done today. I want to get to this stage in life. I want to, right? We need to be patient. We need to wait for the Lord to act. We need to be patient with other people. And maybe that's the hardest. I don't know what the hardest is. But there are times when being patient with other people is challenging. Because, uh, right? You had that moment, haven't you? Ah, why am I waiting for you? Why am I waiting for you to get that done? Why am I, why am I enduring this bad customer service? Sometimes we see people who are impatient because they squeeze their vehicle right in front of us where there was not room 
I had a guy do that just a couple days ago. Behind me, two-lane road, not two, like four lanes, but two on our side, right? We're, I'm going to turn right, so I'm in the right lane. He's behind me, cuts into the other lane, goes up, passes me, one other vehicle, and comes back in where there was not space. And then we both turned right, and I was right behind him. And I was like, you did that to gain one vehicle lane, and I am out of patience for that. Okay. Being patient with other people is, is so hard. How often are we impatient with others? This is what it says in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. Oops, I grumbled about that guy. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Sometimes what we grumble about is someone else's behavior that presents a challenge to us. Not just drivers, but people, attitudes, whatever it is. And we want to judge people for what they're doing, for what they're saying, for how they're living, for decisions that they made, for actions that they're taking that we're like, that is not going to end well. Sometimes people have to learn the hard way. Sometimes we have to learn the hard way to be patient with them. Be patient with other people. And be like the prophets. Verse 10 James says this, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. That sounds like a great job, right? Being a prophet speaking in the name of the Lord. Not usually. (laughs) Because most of the time the prophets were coming to the people of Israel whose hearts were hard, who were presenting their own challenges, who needed correction. And so the prophet had to be the person to come to him and say, Hey, guess what? This needs to change. Hey, guess what? We're doing this wrong. Hey, God said this. Remember? Hello? Remember that? And so that's what the prophet's job was a lot of the time. Be patient like the prophets. With messages that were hard to hear, they had to deliver them. That's the kind of patience that James is encouraging. As we're patient, we need to wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 14 says this, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Hang on to that. Hang on to those words. Hang on to that sentiment. Because we need to wait for the Lord to do what he will do. The Lord's acting all the time. We have expectations, we have desires, we have things that we hope for, but God's doing what he's going to do. And so we need to wait for the Lord. If God hasn't moved in some area that we think he should be doing, we need to wait for the Lord. And we need to wait for the Lord to answer our prayer. A reminder of a promise that probably you've heard from Isaiah chapter 40, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God answers prayer. His answers are yes, no, and wait. This is something we talked about in the Bible class last week. Yes, no, and wait. God's going to act. He's going to answer our prayers. Sometimes his 
prayer, his answer is no. Sometimes it's wait. And with that waiting, we need to have patience. But we also need to understand the power of prayer. So we're waiting with patience, but we're still praying, right? Waiting with patience doesn't mean sitting down and doing nothing. It's not this, right? Tapping the foot, like, come on, come on, come on. Sometimes I can be that way. When it's time to drive away from the house to get the kids to school, come on, right? Waiting for God is different from that. But it's not sitting on the couch, like, whenever you're ready, we'll go. It's also, we wait in prayer. The power of the prayer. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we're going to talk about some times in our lives in which we pray. And they might sound familiar. We pray in suffering. Sometimes we suffer. We, I feel like we've talked about this. We pray in our suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So while we're waiting with patience, we also pray. Pray in all circumstances. Paul says pray without ceasing, but especially in our times of suffering, we can turn to the Lord in prayer. Because sometimes in suffering, it's awfully tempting to turn away from God, and that's what Satan's expectation of Job was. And maybe at least momentarily, that's what happened with Job's wife. The, the expectation, the pressure, the difficulty, the challenge that that is to engage in prayer can be hard for us. But in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, come on, Paul. That's hard. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, and character, hope. See, there's a process through which suffering can shape us. And when we wait with patience and when we turn to the Lord in prayer, the suffering that we endure can lead us to a deeper faith in God. Character and hope come through faith instilled within us and in that faith we can pray to our Lord and we can pray for the Lord to act in the same way while we're waiting with patience for God to act we can pray we can ask God to do things and when the message concludes we're going to pray and a lot of that is asking for the Lord to do things to heal to strengthen to intervene to provide to protect and all the things that God knows and we can, or God does, and we can ask for those things and we can pray for those things. And we can pray for other people. The same ones that are challenging to our patients, we can pray for. But we can pray for all kinds of needs. This is what verses 14 and 16 say. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And it goes on, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
that you may be healed. Now, that's written in a context of where it's talking about being sick. But the prayer of faith, saving his soul, which is also in there, I believe, is about our spiritual healing, our forgiveness that we receive from the grace of God. That healing is guaranteed. That's promised by the grace and mercy of Jesus. So even through physical, chronic issues, we can remain faithful, we can wait with patience, we can pray, and God's going to do what he does. Okay. We can pray for other people, we can pray like the prophets. One more Old Testament story. This is in verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Maybe there's an Elijah in California. We've got to find that guy. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. What dramatic results Elijah received for his prayer, right? Three and a half year drought and its end. And maybe we, our prayers haven't been met with that dramatic answer, but I know in my life there have been answered prayers. Some of which I didn't even recognize immediately. Right? Some of which it took me quite a long time to look back and remember, oh, I had that in mind, but this all happened, and I ended up here where my prayer was really for the shortcut version, but here I am. Something that I prayed for has happened, but it wasn't immediately after, and it wasn't the direct, you know, shot. Answered prayers. Not every prayer is going to be that way, like we know. But we can pray like the prophets, because this is what it says about Elijah's prayer, that he prayed fervently. They didn't pray casually. He didn't pray once. Pray once. It wasn't momentary. It wasn't like, oh, God, it'd be cool if it didn't rain for a while. It was fervently. It was engaged. It was probably, you know, somehow continual or at least over some time. We don't know exactly what that means, exactly what Elijah's, but it was deep. It was in faith, right? Pray fervently. Pray in trust and trust in the Lord. This is really where it comes down to the rubber meets the road. The intersection of faith and life is trust. In whom do we trust? Our money says in God we trust. In every circumstance, is that true? This is the, the life that James is encouraging, that we would trust in the Lord to do what he will do. That sounds familiar too. Because when God's answer is no or God's answer is wait, we still need to trust in him. Because he's sovereign, he's in charge, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he knows what's best for us better than we do. So we can trust in him, and when we're challenged and when our patience is wearing thin, we can trust in him. And when there's a drought that's going on for what feels like three and a half years, we can trust in him. And when all the things that you see when you're scrolling through the channels on the news and the, all those stories of what's happening on the other side of the world and the other side of the country in Southern California, Portland, wherever, 
we can trust in him. And when we're in a time of suffering where it's just like we're feeling like we're torn up, we can trust in him. In every circumstance, we can trust in him. It's faith that allows us to wait with patience. One more verse. This one's from Romans 8, verse 25. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it in trust. We wait for it in prayer. Clinging to the hope of Jesus. In the grace that we receive from him. With an eye toward eternity, but living here and now. Let's be patient. Let's be in prayer. Amen.